0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to ToledoCalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today.
1: The time hasn't changed. The people have. The good news hasn't changed. The evil has. The path to heaven is the same. We've just stopped walking. God hasn't stopped listening. We've just stopped talking. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. It's time to stop debating and trust that it's real. Heaven is waiting. We must make an appeal.
0: In 1775, Colonel Joseph Reed would have been George Washington's right-hand man. And so when Washington decided to take some pretty bold steps he he said to Reed what I need you to do is to design a flag for what's about to happen here. And so Joseph Reed commissioned a flag. It was a white flag and on its background it had a pine tree. We might not know this but the pine tree at that time was a symbol for New England and it symbolized not only kind of the uniqueness of their geography but also the strength that they had especially against the tyranny that was taking place with Great Britain. And across the top of the flag was this statement. It said, an appeal to heaven. The purpose of that statement, the, the, the focus of it was this, that there are times when we do everything that we can, when we take our steps, when we move with boldness, when we, when we do our best to accomplish something, but we know that if it's going to be successful, if we're gonna be effective, if our cause is gonna succeed, then what it's going to take more than anything else is help from a higher power, and so we appeal to heaven. You ever had those times when, when something happens in your world and, and you look at something and you go, okay, that should not have happened. That wasn't normal. That wasn't natural. That wasn't, that wasn't regular. That's, that's almost supernatural. You look at something and you go, there is no explanation for that except for the fact that God made that happen. Have you ever had those things happen in your life? You're just like, that's nothing but an answer to prayer. Well, what's interesting is if you look through history, not not just in Scripture, and I think not just in world history, but actually if you'll take time to look at the history of our nation, in fact, in particular, I think you can see this repeatedly in the history of the American Revolution, you'll find these times when there were things that took place and you say there is no explanation for that. There's no reason that that should have happened except for this point, that God had his hand directly involved in that. I want to share one of those stories with you this evening, if you would please Turn your attention to the screen. I'm standing in the Boston Public Gardens and behind me is the statue of George Washington. Now before Washington was our first president in 1775, he was concerned because the British ships were coming into the harbor here in Boston. One of his concerns was is that they were taking our liberties and they were beginning to oppress the colonists and so many things had happened like the Boston Massacre, there were things that were beginning to brew and people wanted our freedom. The Boston Tea Party had just taken place and so Washington went to the Congress in Philadelphia and wanted them to authorize a navy for the colonists. They didn't want to have that kind of trouble at that time so what Washington did it said is that he took his own money and that he purchased six schooner vessels. He called it Washington's Secret Navy and he began this secret navy that would protect our harbors and try to intercept these British ships that were coming in. On one of these occasions, it was a ship called the Nancy that was a a large British brigantine vessel that was loaded with supplies. And as it was coming in, one of these schooners in Washington's secret navy, the Lee, went out to meet it. The British vessel thought the Lee was coming to guide them into the harbor, and so then turned control of the boat over to them. The colonists were able to board this boat without ever firing a shot. They took over this vessel, Seize the supplies, gunpowder and flint and other supplies that would have taken more than a year for the colonists to put together. It was a mother load of treasure that they found on that ship, and they were able to take that and with that help to supply that navy and the efforts of the colonists. All of these vessels had the same flag that flew over top of it. It was a white flag with a green pine tree, and embroidered across the top were the words, an appeal to heaven. I just think that's a fascinating story when you stop and think about the fact that without ever firing a shot, that ship from the colonies was able to not only have victory over this British vessel, but gather all kinds of supplies that would have taken them over a year to come up with on their own. You can call it a coincidence. I call it the result of an appeal to heaven. In this series of messages, I'm, I'm greatly indebted to Dr. David Arnett. He's the uh, president of North Point Bible College just outside of Boston, and he's a, he's a mentor in my life in, in so many different ways. And he was the first one to share with me thoughts about this, this flag, about these stories, and what we're going to do over the course of these next few weeks as we get into this new series of messages and appeal to heaven. We're going to take a look at some of our history as a nation and see the different times when God moved in some pretty unique ways. And i got to tell you, I'm, I'm really excited about this series. When I was in Bible college, uh, the professor that taught me to preach used to describe sermons in different ways. They said that some sermons are timeless and some sermons are timely. Some sermons are timeless and some sermons are timely. Here's, here's what this means. When you preach from Scripture, the principles in Scripture are always true. They are timeless principles. And so if they're presented accurately from God's Word, they will apply to any person in any time in any season. They are timeless. Does that make sense? But it also is this, that some sermons aren't just timeless, they're timely. They're just for that moment. There's something for that season or for that moment in time that specifically applies to a specific group of people in certain ways. Have you ever heard a sermon and said, wow, that was just for me? So that that was timely. Here's here's what I know. This message series, I believe, is spiritually timeless. As we walk through the next few weeks this, this idea of an appeal to heaven, I believe that this message series is spiritually timeless. We're gonna talk about prayer. We're gonna talk about what prayer is. We're gonna talk about how we pray. Oftentimes people tell me, I know I should pray, but I don't know what to say, or I don't know how to talk to God. We're gonna talk about how we can pray, how we can pray with effectiveness, how we can pray with power, and our hope is that as we talk about prayer, we can do it without guilt and boredom. Would that be okay? See, sometimes when I hear people talk about prayer, I walk away from it, and I realize how prayerless I am, and instead of being encouraged, I just feel like a loser, and there's other times when you, when you talk about something like this and you go, ah, I already know all that. Here's my, my hope. I hope that through this series of messages, you will be encouraged to pray with greater effectiveness and greater intensity. I believe that this message series is spiritually timeless, but I also believe that it is nationally timely, that this message series is nationally timely. I think for us in the United States, in this season, We are in a very interesting place as a nation. Would you agree? We have division. We have fear. We have uncertainty. People feel like their liberties are being threatened. Have you heard that there's an election? It's right around the corner. Here's what I've had several people express to me. They say, Pastor, I'm not sure how to vote. I'm not sure who to vote for because how do you vote between two candidates in an election when you want both candidates to lose? It's an interesting predicament that some people feel that they're in. And in this season of time, as we look at what God's word says, we have to ask the question, what is a Christian response to these times? Take your Bibles with me, if you would, please, and turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Whether you've got it in a print or a digital form, we're going to look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we see a story about a king named Jehoshaphat who was the king over the nation of Judah. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that the nation of Israel was where God's people lived, the the children of God lived in Israel. Towards the end of the Old Testament, what happens is Israel is actually divided up into two nations. The northern part is called Israel, and the southern part, where Jerusalem is, is called Judah. And we're talking tonight about the, the nation of Judah, Jehoshaphat was the king there, and what happens is they face a time of great national crisis, And as we look and see over these next few weeks how they handle their national crisis, I think it will help us in a season of interesting times for our nation. What I want to give to you, and we're going to look at this all throughout this series, I want to propose something to you that is a principle that I think is timeless and I think it's very timely. And it's this, that the prayer of God's people influences the destiny of a nation. The prayer of God's people influences the destiny of a nation. You see this over and over again in Scripture. You see it with Joshua and the children of Israel. You see it with David. You see it with Daniel. You'll really see it in a portion of Scripture when you read about Elijah the prophet and how at different times, based on his prayer, God God closed up the heaven. There was a drought. He opened up the heaven. There was rain when there were evil, false prophets that were trying to, to manipulate things in the land. When Elijah prayed, God moved on his behalf. The prayer of God's people has the power to influence the destiny of nations. In this series, we're gonna talk about how to pray. And in this series, we hope to answer some of the challenges that our nation is facing right now and what role a Christian should have in voting and leading and serving in the United States in 2016. Now, now understand this. My goal is not to make this series political. We've got enough politics right now, right? Right? My goal is not for this to be political, it's for this to be practical. That we can look at this and see what scripture has to say to us and how God's word would direct our lives, not in a political way, but in a practical way. So let's jump in and see what we read here. Second Chronicles chapter 20, beginning with verse one. It says this. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Munites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already at Hazdan that's Hazz. Haz, 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 Haz. Tamar. That is Engedi. Let me tell you what this is. Without going into the geography, without going in the different nations, here's the deal. This is bad. Judah finds out that there are three different nations that have come together. They're joining forces to gang up on Judah. Israel has always been geographically significant. And these three nations, for some reason, have sensed some weakness, and they decide if we band together, we can go and overthrow the kingdom of Judah. It'd be just like if you were walking down the street, you're kind of out there all by yourself, and all of a sudden three bullies come against you. And they're coming, and they're threatening you, and you know you're outnumbered, and you're overwhelmed by this, and you're not sure how to respond, that's the situation Israel is in here, and it is bad. Now what you'll find here is they have to make a decision. Are they gonna run away? Are they gonna fight back? Are they gonna call for foreign help? Are they gonna freak out? What are they gonna do? Look at verse three. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah, The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Do you see what they did here? They didn't freak out. Instead, they prayed. They said, God, we're in the midst of this situation. We know that we can't resolve this on our own. We're coming and we're seeking you for help. And if you go to verse 12, and over the next couple of weeks, we'll look at the, the full prayer of what Jehoshaphat prayed. We'll watch and see what they did in this time. But the, the heart of his prayer is actually verse 12. Look at what he says, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. Listen to this. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I love that verse. I love that principle there. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Isn't that in its most simplest form what prayer is really all about? When we look at God and say, God, we we don't know what to do here, but we know that you do, so we look to you and we ask you for help. We could go Saturday, we could go yesterday, We'd been doing this little project in our house. We have a laundry room. It's just kind of this small, narrow room, and it's got our washer and our dryer in it and has this uh, old kind of wash tub sink that's there and some shelves and some things that are in there. And and Rhonda wanted to kind of paint it and put up some new shelves and, and a cabinet and do some different things in there. And so we've been in the process kind of doing this. And she said, you know, we've got this sink that's in here. We've lived here for over 10 years, and I don't think we've ever used it. The only thing we do with the sink is drop junk in it, like we store stuff in it. And she said, what if we just get it out of here? We'd have some more space. Maybe we could just move it out of here. What do you think? Well, Saturday, I was busy. I had some things going on. I was trying to finish up my notes for Sunday and all this kind of thing. But I was like, you know what? Well, let me look at that. So I went and looked at the sink, and I said, you know what? I don't, I don't think it's gonna be that big of a deal. I'll just, I'll just pull it out of there. I think it'll take me about 15 minutes. Have you ever tried a plumbing project that you thought would take you 15 minutes? It doesn't work that way, typically. That 15-minute project took me five hours, because once you start taking something apart, it's just a matter of time until something else is going to go wrong. Two trips to the store later, I'm standing there, and I'm looking at this, and, and long story short, I, just, I have to make these decisions. How am I going to resolve this issue? It's either that, or there's just there's dripping, and there's water, and all this, stuff. Kind of, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm looking at this, and finally, I thought, you know what? I think I know what to do, but I was a little bit nervous. I wasn't so sure if I should do it, and I was thinking about it. Finally, I said, I know what I'll do. This is after you know, you're know you YouTubing things, you're talking to the guy at the store, you're trying to figure the whole thing out. I said, I know what I'll do. I picked up my phone and I called my neighbor who lives around the corner. I can see his house out my back window. He lives around the corner and he can fix all kinds of stuff. And I called him up and I said, Keith, are you home? He said, yeah, I'm home. Here's what I said to him. I don't know what to do, but I'm looking out my back window and I see your house and I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. It's not really what I said, but that was the idea, right? You know what he did? He came over to the house, he looked at me, he said, ah, oh, yeah, he says, he says, you don't wanna do that. Here's what you wanna, you wanna do, you wanna do this, and he helped me, and we figured it all out, and in, in just a matter of time, we had the whole thing done and fixed. and it was all that. I would've messed it up on my own. In fact, had I tried to do it on my own, I probably wouldn't have showed up that Sunday morning. I'd have been home repenting for things that I had said and done in the process. But because I asked for his help, he came over, and he helped me to resolve this, isn't that prayer? You say, God, look, I'm in a situation and I'm not quite sure what to do here. God, I don't think I have the strength or the ability or the the wisdom to handle this. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. That is prayer. And I think too often we make prayer more difficult than it needs to be. What we try to do is we try to think I've gotta be a a certain kind of holy or I've gotta be extra special or extra spiritual or or I can't pray unless I've got six hours to kneel by my bedside and really, really pray. And prayer goes beyond that. Prayer is a constant ongoing conversation with God. It's being aware of his presence and his leading and his guidance in our lives. Prayer is so important. And what I wanna talk to you about today is why we should pray. What happens? What benefits are there? Why is it that we should pray? And when we pray, what takes place in our lives? The best way for us to do that is to fast forward to the end of this story. What happened after they prayed? Now now we're gonna look at their prayer and some different things in, in upcoming weeks. But look with me at verse 22 of 2 Chronicles 20. Let's fast forward and let's watch what happened when they prayed. Verse 22. As they began to sing in praise, The Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. Do you understand what happened here? You got these these three armies that are coming together against Judah, and somehow those three begin to fight with each other instead of fighting against Judah. So before Judah ever even gets there, the two armies, for some reason, begin to beat up the other one. And when they're done beating that army up, they start beating each other up. So by the time Judah gets to that place that overlooks the desert, and they can look out and see where the battlefield is, they don't see anyone left alive. They've already been victorious because those armies destroyed each other. That sounds like an answer to prayer, doesn't it? Let's go on and read the rest of the story. Look what happens next. It says, so Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing, and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. Now that sounds like a garage sale, doesn't it? Listen to that. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Barakah where they praised the Lord. This is why it is called the Valley of Barakah to this day. Then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem For the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel, and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. Tonight, I just want to look at three things that happen when we appeal. To heaven. You're going to see this here in this passage of Scripture. Three things that happen when we pray, and it reminds us of why we should pray. Three things that happen when we appeal to heaven. Here's the first one. Number one, our prayers are answered. When we pray, when we appeal to heaven, our prayers are answered. Now, that probably seems overly simplistic in some ways. We, we go, of course, that's, that's why we pray in the first place. But sometimes I think we forget that that's the point of our praying, that our prayers are answered. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 22. Go back and look at this passage again. It says, as they began to sing and praise, and, and that, that action of them singing and praising, that was something, we'll look at in a couple of weeks. It came up in their prayer, and so as they're singing and praising, this is actually an extension of their prayer. They're still praying. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. You see what happened here? They prayed and God acted. They prayed and God answered. This is at the very heart of why we talk about prayer when we pray, God hears us. In fact, in Psalm 65, verse two, it says this, you who answer prayer, to you all people will come. It's very clear right there, God is referred to there as the one who answers prayer. It is who he is. And that's why we we need to recognize this, that when we pray, God responds to our prayers. When we pray, God responds to our prayers. He hears us, he moves on our behalf, and when we pray, he responds to our prayers. And I think sometimes when we pray, we forget this. We forget the fact that he's actually listening, that he actually wants to respond. Sometimes I think we get into our routine and we pray and, and it's just like, you know, I don't know what it's like at your house but at my house so many times when it's time to eat, we, we close our eyes and we say things that we say every time it's time to eat. And maybe we forget about the fact that we're actually talking to someone on the other side of that prayer. Here's, here's what I'm suspicious of. I'm suspicious that the reason we do not pray more is possibly because we do not believe that someone is really listening. I'm suspicious that the reason we do not pray more is because, possibly, we do not believe that someone is really listening. I heard a story about a guy who wanted to, to build a bar in his town, lived in this little town and decided he wanted to build a bar, and so he went looking for the right piece of property. And the only piece of land that he could find that would really work for what he wanted to do was right next door to a church. And as you can understand, bars aren't real happy about moving in next to a church, and churches aren't real happy about having a bar move into them. But what he have? He said, this is, this is the piece of land. I bought it. This is the best place. And so he decides to build this bar right next door to the church. Well, the church kind of freaks out. They don't like the idea. They kind of protest it some. They're trying to stop it from happening, but, but it didn't work. The guy builds his bar. And just a few days before the bar was about to open, there was this big storm that came through. Lightning struck the bar, and it burned to the ground. Can you imagine how excited this church was? They were actually kind of gloating about it, they were kind of proud of themselves. And they were kind of thrilled that this had happened. So you know what the bar owner did? He took them to court. And he sued them. And he claimed that the congregation's prayers had cost him his building. But the church leaders denied having anything to do with it. And so the case goes to court, and the judge is having a really hard time deciding how he's supposed to respond to this. And here's what he said. He said, I have a unique situation here because I have a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer and a church congregation that doesn't. <laughs> what a unique situation. And sometimes, I think the reason why we don't pray more is because we, maybe we don't believe that someone is really listening. Or maybe the reason that we struggle to to believe when we pray is because we don't like what we hear. I remember when, this is years ago when we were uh, over in our other building on Glendale. I remember standing right outside of the sanctuary one day, and this guy coming up to me, boy, was he mad. He was so mad. And he walked up to me, and he said, I don't understand why God doesn't answer my prayers and he starts telling me his story, and we'd talked before about this, and he was so upset. He had, he had basically lost his family in the process of this thing. He had lost his job. He was in kind of this place of real depression. He was just really frustrated, and he said, I just don't understand any of this, because God just doesn't answer my prayers. He doesn't hear a word that I say to him. I said, well, wait a minute, dude, let's, let's back this up, because some of this that you're telling me sounds to me like God is really trying to help you, but at some point, you might have to listen to what he's saying and maybe change some things. The, the reason your family doesn't want to come back home is because there's a, there's a biblical word for it. I, I think it's jerk, right? You're a jerk. And I didn't say that to him, but that was, that was, the, that was the idea, Right? Maybe the reason that your family's not getting back together is because of the way that you're treating them. Maybe the reason you lost your job isn't because God wasn't helping you, but because you were irresponsible. You see, God's speaking to you. I actually see places where God's giving you grace and a second chance in these situations. But you don't like the way it's working out, so instead you keep pushing him away and saying, I wish God would answer my prayer when he's already at work. You just don't like the way he's working. See, sometimes the way we view prayer is just like Aladdin and his lamp, and we want to just kind of rub it, and when we get our wish, and when God answers our prayer, then we say, oh, great, and I've got two more wishes. That's not the way it works. That's not what prayer is all about. It's more than that, and we have to realize that when we pray, God hears us. He responds, and then watch this. Look at verse 24 of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles 20, 24. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground, and no one had escaped. God gives us victory. When we pray, he moves on our behalf, and the beautiful thing is that God gives us victory. He wants to respond to our prayers. He wants to work. God is already victorious, and we've, we've seen this before over every enemy. The beautiful thing is that prayer works. When we pray, God hears us, and he moves on our behalf. I love to hear stories from people of answered prayer. Have you, have you ever had this happen where you pray a prayer, and then almost like instantly, like, like immediately, you kind of see an answer to that prayer. You pray, you see God answered, and you're like, wow, prayer works. And Have you ever had that happen? You pray, and then you see that prayer answered? Yeah. How about this, have you ever prayed, and then waited, and waited, and waited? First service today, I said that, and the lady right up there goes, I'm still waiting. (laughs) Have you ever prayed, and then you, you find yourself waiting? If God's victorious, then why am I waiting? Because sometimes that victory doesn't come exactly when we want it or how we think it should. But here's what's critical about this. When you pray, don't forget that he's the one who brings the victory. You know what's so interesting about this story is is as the army is going out to fight, as Judah is going out to face these three bullies, they're already singing and praising God. They're already celebrating his victory. They're celebrating his goodness. They haven't seen the armies yet. Remember, they haven't gotten to that place yet where they look out and see all the dead bodies. They don't realize that they're already victorious. They don't realize that they've already won. They just know this, that God is the one who brings victory, so they're celebrating that victory before they ever even get there. We must celebrate God's victory even when we have not seen it yet. We celebrate God's victory even when we have not seen it yet. When we pray, we realize that we're praying to the one who is victorious and we can put our hope and our confidence and our trust in him. More important than your birthday, more important than Christmas, more important than your wedding anniversary, for some of you, the most important day in your life was yesterday, Saturday, the beginning of college football season. For some of you, that's the pinnacle of the year for you. Football is back. And what's exciting, what's interesting is when you watch a team go out on the field, you know they go out there with something in mind. They want to win. Even if they're up against a tough opponent, they want to go out there and do their very best towards victory. What kind of coach would you be if you said to your team, boys, we're gonna get pummeled out there today. We might as well not even try. Let's go out there and just try to kill some time for 60 minutes and then we can get something to eat. That's not a coach. You've already given up in the process. If you're going to go out there, you do everything you can to be victorious. And yet, so many times when we look at the situations in our life, even when we pray, we've already given up. We've already forgotten that God is the one who brings us victory. And we pray and we say, God, this situation's really bad. I don't know what you can do. Amen. That's not prayer, that's not faith, that's not confidence. We need to realize that when we pray, we are talking to the one who is already victorious and so we celebrate that victory even if we haven't seen it yet. Which puts us in kind of an interesting place. See, whoever's in the White House in the next four years has tremendous opportunity. They will affect our national security, They'll influence our domestic prosperity. They'll impact our religious liberty, our moral realities. And this is really important. The truth is, in the history of our nation, we've always voted on imperfect candidates, haven't we? Does anybody remember that one time when Jesus ran for president? <laughs> so, no, he never did. See, we've always voted on people who are imperfect And as much as we have a responsibility to vote, and as much as the person in the Oval Office matters to our country, no matter the outcome, when you wake up on that Wednesday morning, the first Wednesday in November, and we have a new president, understand this, God is still victorious, isn't he? No matter who wins. And I know that sounds very cliché, Ah, Chad, every pastor has to say that. Sometime between September and the first week of November, every pastor has to say, no matter who wins the White House, God is still on the throne. Right, it's what we're supposed to say, but the reality is it's true, and here's where it really comes down. The question is, how are you going to live when you face these situations? Whether or not you like who's in the White House or whether or not you like what's happening at your house, the truth is, remember that God is the one who is victorious and when we pray, we put our confidence and we put our trust in him. Why? Because when we pray, God answers. And that leads us to the second thing that happens when we pray. When we appeal to heaven, here's the second thing. Number two, our world is changed. When we appeal to heaven, our world is changed. They prayed, and then watch again what happens. Verse 23. It says, the Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. This is a crazy thing. It's crazy that these three armies would turn on each other. Now, we don't know why. The Bible doesn't really say it. It doesn't say whether one of them kind of did something shady, and so the other two decided to turn on them, or whether God sent some kind of spiritual beings to kind of stir up confusion. Like, we don't know what happened. We just know this that Judah prayed and God responded in a way so that these armies did turn on each other and they defeated each other before the battle ever started. Which shows us this, that when we pray, God does the unexpected. When we pray, God does the unexpected. We might see things differently, we might expect things differently, but when we put our trust and our confidence in Him, we will see Him do things that we may not ever expect for Him to do. And we have to be open and we have to be ready for that to happen. Back in in 2009, Um, as a church, we had just paid off our our mortgage on our previous building. And this was a mortgage that had kind of hung over the head of the church since the mid-'80s and really had been kind of financially restricting in a lot of ways. And in 2009, we we paid off the mortgage, and we began to ask God, God, what would you have us to do next? How do you want us to move forward? And so we started to pray as a church. We started to plan as leaders and say, God, what, what do you have for us in the future? And out of that, we began to think of the ways that God would have us to strengthen our ministries. In fact, when when we talk about uh, our our, our focus here being that we will connect, grow, and serve, a lot of that was reinforced during that time. We began to look at our facility and say, God, how would you have us upgrade our building and kind of move things forward? And so in in, in 2009, we started this. Early 2010, we put together what we called a strategic ministry plan. March of 2010, we presented that to the church, and we said, we believe After prayer and planning, this is the direction that God would have us to go. And man, it felt really good because we gave that to the church, and we knew for our ministries, for our facility, this was our target. We had prayed about it. We were heading in this direction, and and, and we were were satisfied. March, we did that. We sat back in June of 2010. God said, why don't you buy a movie theater? (laughs) Nowhere in our strategic ministry plan did it say, look for a vacant cinema. I mean, that wasn't a strategy. But here's what was so interesting, that everything that we planned for previous to that with regards to either um, strengthening the ministries of the church or looking to move forward with our facilities, everything that was in the scope of what God had put in our hearts actually led us to this facility where we were ready and prepared to do those things because we prayed and we entrusted God to help us as a church, and he not only blessed us, but he did it in a way that was unexpected. Have you ever had God do something in your life? And you, well, I didn't see that coming. And then you realize what a blessing that was in the process. When you pray and when you plan, when you do your best to look towards the future, then God is able to trust you with new things, with bigger things, and open up the doors for you to do that. He can do the unexpected in your life. And when we pray, what happens is we're able to see those things. Because we don't like the unexpected. We don't like those things, we push them aside and we fail to see what God wants to do maybe better and, and more exciting and more powerful in our lives than what we thought should happen. This is where prayer is so important that prayer changes our perspective. That prayer changes our perspective and helps us to see what God wants to do in our lives which leads us then to the third thing that I want you to see tonight. Third thing that we see, what happens when we pray. One is God answers our prayers. Then, God is able to change our world. And the third thing that we see, number three, is that our lives are blessed. When we pray, our lives are blessed. And I think we miss this so many times because we get so focused on ourselves and our situations and our problems that we fail to go to God and ask him what he would have us to do, that we ask him to step in and to help us And when we miss that, we don't see him at work and we miss the blessing. Remember what happened in this story? They go out, they stand over this, this valley, they see that these armies are already defeated and then they go down in the valley and they start to collect all the equipment and the clothing and all the treasures that these armies have left. It's taken them three days to gather all this stuff up and they still can't take it all. They walk away from this battle with a treasure of blessing. And this is a principle that I think sometimes we miss. See, we look at our battles and we wig out. We're like, oh, I don't want anything to do with this and and I'm not sure how to handle this and all I see is failure and all I see is defeat. But when they were willing to pray, God not only brought them victory, but he blessed them in the midst of this. He filled them up with great blessing that never would have come to them if it hadn't been for this battle. Understand this, prayer turns our battles into blessings. When we pray, we can see things in a different way. God's able to work in our lives in a different way. When we pray, prayer turns our battles into blessings. Now I don't want to minimize any of this because I know for some of you, you've come in here tonight and you feel like you've got three bullies beating you up. You feel like there's people or forces or situations or whatever kind of coming against you and you don't know where the answer is and you don't know how to move forward. And it's real, that pressure that you're feeling. And I don't want to minimize this in any way. I just want you to understand this, that even in the midst of the battle that you're facing, God can take that battle, and he can somehow turn it around to be a blessing. I know this to be true, because it is in the very nature and character of God to do that in our lives. Does anybody remember the 23rd Psalm? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Do you remember that passage of scripture? Very familiar. When you get to verse five, what does it say? It says, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Right in the midst of my mess, right in the presence of my enemies, right in the heart of the battle I'm facing. It's in the very nature and character of God to take that mess and bless you right in the middle of it. He says, look, that that war you're fighting, I'm I'm gonna put a spread in front of you. I'm gonna give you a feast right in the middle of it. I'm gonna bless you right in the middle of your battle. That's the kind of God that he is, that's what he does in our lives. Relationships are stronger when conflict is positively resolved. Things work better in our lives after we've repaired them and they're understood. I can be more empathetic to the struggles that others have because of the struggles that I've gone through. The battle comes with blessing. So don't push the battle away. Instead, if you're in the midst of a struggle right now in your marriage or in your schooling or in your job or in your health, recognize this, that it may be right in the middle of this battle that God has a place where he wants to bring you great blessing. And here's here's what else we see in this process. If you remember, the whole story begins with Jehoshaphat standing in front of the people. If you read on in in chapter 20, it tells you that they're at the temple. And there they are at the temple. And this is where he prays and says, Lord, we don't know what to do but our eyes are on you. And they leave the temple and they go out towards the battle and then at the end of the story, you find them coming back to the temple and when they get there, they're rejoicing because they were praising God on the way there and they watch his faithfulness, they watch his victory and then they praise him on the way back. It's this powerful thing that happens and they're filled with joy. And understand this, prayer fills our journey with joy. When we're willing to come to God in prayer, he takes the journey that we're on and he fills it with joy. But you have to choose to receive it. Even if you're in the midst of some kind of battle, you have to be willing to say, God, I, I will look to you, I will trust you, I will come to you in prayer. See, when I pray, pray, remember, it changes my perspective, and it helps me to see things in God's way, and then instead of just seeing things in a, in a dismal way, I can see them with the joy that only he can bring. This is why Philippians chapter four, verse four says, rejoice in the Lord always. Paul says, I'll say it again, rejoice. You know where Paul was when he wrote those words about rejoicing? Prison. Not a very joyful place. But he knew that when you look to God, even in the midst of the battles that you face, you can know his joy in your life. And it comes when we pray. As we we talk about that, I I just want to encourage you with something. This, this election season has, has been really so interesting to watch and see the differences that people are finding in this. And I'm having these conversations with people, and, and I'm, I don't usually start them, but, but somebody will come, and in the process of our conversation, the whole idea of the candidates or the election or voting will come up. And on multiple occasions, as it's come up, the person I'm talking to will have somebody with them, a spouse or a friend or something like that. And when we begin to talk about the the political thing that's going on in our nation, the person that is with this person will go, oh, don't start talking about that. Oh, don't go there. What they really mean is this, don't you dare say anything stupid in front of the pastor. That's what they're saying. And in that moment, there's this weird kind of tension that's happening and I'm watching it happen over and over again because I'm having these conversations with people and and people that are making strong arguments and they're talking about why they believe that not only is this the way that we should vote, but this is the way that God would have you to vote and I've heard it on both sides. I've heard it in all kinds of different ways. And it's weird because there's kind of this this uneasiness and this tension that comes with all of this. Let me encourage you with this. As you find yourself in the next month or so in this climate of politics that we're in, I think it would be great if even in the midst of this, if the people of God did not lose their joy. But that if we stayed joyful, and the reality is this, a political debate is not worth you losing the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Your response in a Christ-like way is far more important than you winning any kind of political argument. And when we pray, God helps us to retain that joy. One last thing I want you to see real quick. Look at verse 30 of Second Chronicles chapter 20. It says, In the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was it peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. This idea of peace is so powerful. Why did they find themselves at a place of peace? Because they'd prayed. See, prayer gives peace to our perspective. When we pray, prayer gives peace to our perspective. It allows God to help us to see things in a different way. That's why Paul writes, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. You know what he's saying there? Make an appeal to heaven. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Every so often, I'll get about halfway through the afternoon on a day, and I'll kind of say to myself, I'm grumpy. Did you ever get there? I'm just not a very nice person. I'm like, I got a headache. I just feel crummy. And then either something somebody says or something that happens will cause me to go, it's, it's, it's 3 o'clock and I never ate lunch. No wonder I'm so grumpy. I'm hangry. I'm hungry. I didn't eat anything. That's why I feel bad. That's, that's why I'm grumpy. And i will think about it a little bit more. It's like, not only did I not eat lunch, I don't think I ate breakfast today. I just jumped right out of my house and into the day and I never bothered to eat anything and I just went into tackling what was in front of me and I realized that no wonder I'm a grumpy and I'm having a headache and I'm struggling to pay attention to what I've got going on. The reason is because I've not fed my body anything and as a result, I've got this negative response. Look, for some of you, the reason that you don't have peace is the same reason that I'm so grumpy. I'm grumpy because I didn't eat. You don't have peace because you haven't prayed. You're facing a new school year. It's a challenge with your spouse at home. You're working through some family situations or in a relationship. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your money. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's fear. You you know exactly what that thing is. And you just know that your mind has no peace and your heart has no rest. And maybe... A part of the reason is because you've never really said, God, I entrust this to you. If you watch what happened in this situation, it was when Jehoshaphat and the people started out by saying, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, that God was able to lead them through a process where they could actually experience peace. I was talking with a friend not too long ago, and he was telling me about a situation that he was up against, and it was it's a really tough, kind of a challenging thing. And finally I said to him, well, when you pray about this, What is it that you're praying for? And he looked at me and went, hmm. Yeah, I suppose I probably should pray about this, shouldn't I? (laughs) Maybe it would make a difference if I actually talked to God about this instead of just pushing through it on my own. But so many times we jump right out of our day and into these situations and we never stop long enough to say, God, what would you have me to do here and entrust it to him? If you go back and, and read historical accounts, all the way back to the first century, both in the, in the Chinese dynasties in Asia in the first century and even in the Roman Empire, there's accounts of people that when two armies would come together, there would be times when someone would from one army would approach another. And they would have with them a, a, something that they would wave. It was a piece of cloth, a piece of fabric. Most often it was white. And they would wave or they would raise the white flag And it was a way of signaling and saying, look, I I surrender or I want to talk about peace. I want to negotiate this thing. Let's stop this fighting. I want to move towards a place of peace. And you've all heard that term at some point when we wave the white flag. And when we think of it, so many times we think that we have lost. We think of surrender and we think of defeat. But what about when you are interacting with God? What if we were to kind of change the way that we talk about this idea of waving the white flag What if we were willing to say, God I put my trust and my confidence in you. What what if the flag, I I guess maybe spiritually more than physically, but what if the flag we were waving wasn't so much a white flag but a flag that maybe said, God i I make an appeal to heaven. God I put my trust and my confidence in you. I know I can't do this on my own anymore and it's some place, it's something where I need to rely on you. I think that's why we read in Isaiah chapter 26 such a, such a powerful principle from Scripture there that says this, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And see, for some of you tonight, the reason why you feel like you're not experiencing God's blessing or maybe why you don't have his joy or why you're struggling to find peace is because you've been holding on to this thing all on your own And maybe it's time for you to kind of raise a flag and make an appeal to heaven and say, God, what I really need is your help and your presence and your work in my life. And so tonight, right where you are, I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. I I want you to take a look and think of your own life. And maybe it's something that you've been praying about. Or maybe tonight you've realized that it's something that you need to be praying about. But there's something that's in your life right now. And you'd say, God, I I don't know what to do about this. But I make an appeal to heaven. God, my eyes are on you. I know that you hear And I know that you answer, even in an unexpected way. And, Lord, I need your blessing. I need your joy. I need your peace. Lord, I appeal to you about this situation tonight. If that's you and you've got something, whether you're praying about it or whether you're beginning to pray about it tonight, would you just raise your hand? Just say, God, I give this to you. I make an appeal to heaven about this situation in my life. Yeah, you can raise your hand put it right back down. God, I entrust this to you. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. she's going to lead us in this very simple song. The chorus says, Lord, I need you. And as we sing this song together, just right where you are, would you take that thing that you need God's help with, and would you truly make an appeal to heaven? Would you talk to him about it? Just in your heart, would you speak to him about what he would have you to do, how he can bring his blessing and his joy and his peace even in the midst of this? there's Nothing pressing in your life right now, what a great time for you to pray for our nation in this season. But as Alicia begins to sing this song, would you just take this moment and would you seek God and make an appeal to heaven? And
1: Lord, I come and I
0: prayer. Lord, I need you. Father that is our prayer Lord thanks for your word that reminds us That you You hear us, you know us Lord thanks that you answer Prayers So Lord I pray for the one that needs Your blessing and your joy And your peace, God would you bring that To them even here tonight Lord thanks for The truth that we can put our confidence And our hope in you Now Lord as we go from here We ask that you would go with us would you send us out with your special favor your wonderful peace we ask this in Jesus name